You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some dude ate a radioactive bat, and shit got really weird for the last couple of years. So then the whole focus turned for the last 200 episodes on how to survive a closed world. Now, many of you thought this is worthless, this is fanciful thinking, this is way too optimistic. Others of you called me black pilled, pessimistic, nihilistic. You said that at worst case scenario, we should all just get off the grid. If those of you have been listening for as long as I know some of you have, you understand that the world is different. We have many amazing opportunities to come. We also live in a period of extreme challenges. It's not enough to live off the grid. You can't anymore. Now we have to learn how to live on as many grids as possible. Some things were uncomfortable. Some things made you look forward to the future with hope. On the Run became something beyond myself as we came together to ask, how do we live a freer life in our lifetime without asking permission to do so? Hello, I'm Remso W. Martinez. Welcome to episode 200 of On the Run. We have a very awesome guest today, Julia Geyer. Julia, when you and I first met, it was on this program when you joined the We Are Libertarians Network and the lockdowns had just started. We didn't know what was happening, and I think for the most part, as the world was changing, you were in New York, I was right outside Washington, D.C., we thought things would get better. I'm, I'm using air quotes. Nobody will be able to see that. But like, oh, well, except our video audience, which, by the way, I'll announce every, every other episode, at least, every episode from now on of On the Run will now be on the We Are Libertarians YouTube channel in video form. So that means I have to start wearing pants from now on. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we thought, um, to, to get back on track, we, we thought this would be temporary. We thought this would be something that we could recover from. Now people are calling the time before COVID the before times. So when we take into account the pandemic, the lockdowns, the civil unrest, the rising crime, the inflation, the, sh- the supply shortages, everything going on across the world in terms of banking and travel. And now with us having to watch a modern land war between two states, that's going to drastically make everything so much worse. Um, you know, I, I look at this period and I think to myself, you know, while I'm certainly upset things got worse for the world, I at least took some steps to prepare myself. I think part of being a libertarian is trying to look forward to uh, the worst case scenario most of the time, hoping that things get better. But here we are. If you could go back to the 2020 version of you and tell them to prepare, what would you say or would you say anything? Oh my God. It's such a, it's such a loaded question because it, it I think personally, <clears throat> my, my journey, <laughs> not to sound corny, but like my journey, cause I have had a real journey since 2020, my life, 
like imploded completely. I lost my entire career. I had two careers. I lost both of them. My, my place that I was renting got sold. I had to move out. Like everything got upended for me. So I think, honestly, I don't think I could have prepared myself for that. I mean, speaking to what you just said about being a libertarian and I think libertarians are definitely much more mindful of like if a society can collapse or if a currency can collapse or obviously government overreach and how to sort of stay under the radar as much as we can. We're just way more cognizant of that. Um, But, and I was like, I've always, I've always been a libertarian. I was raised on it and I am a student of history in terms of like collapsed governments and things like that. And when lockdown happened, as soon as it was happening, I saw what was going to happen. And even like I prepped like a month before lockdown happened because I saw what was happening in China and I said, here it comes. So I knew like, you know, the erosion of liberties that were going to happen. I shouldn't say I knew it, but I, I expected it. Um, on a personal level, <laughs> I could not have prepared or foreseen what would happen to me. <laughs> I couldn't have. Like, I, it was horrible to go through. It was super challenging. And I have to say, though, like, I'm not glad I went through that, but I'm really grateful for where I am now, personally. It, it, it's, it's one of those situations where it's like you can only really tell how things have changed when you get to a moment where things are like a little bit calmer. And I think that's, yes, exactly right. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I spoke to a couple of listeners and they, they have an experience that I tend to have now. Um, I'm an insomniac, but over the last year I've gotten remarkably better sleep um, than prior. And I never thought it would come through such intense amounts of stress. Mm-hmm. But I, I have this, um, this, this moment that happens in the mornings where I wake up and, um, you know, some people will say, don't look at your phone the first thing in the morning, but I almost feel like I, I have to, sometimes I have to go ahead and grab my phone and immediately see what's happening because, um, things that can only be described as mirroring episodes of South Park have happened. And it's, it's, I think it's a little bit of collective trauma that we've all had because we seem to be spiraling into worse and worse situations yeah. by a monthly basis. And yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago from the time of this recording, um, you know, people in Washington, D.C. were celebrating because a lot of the COVID mandates were finally lifting. Yeah. So I had friends saying, oh, I could go to the bar without having to do this, or I can go to the gym, or I could do all these other things. But it's like, as this is happening and throughout different cities and throughout different states, and now the CDC has gone ahead and relaxed their COVID um, guidelines, you know, it's not because we did anything. It's not because libertarians caused enough people to become inspired and, you know, resist and push back and change the laws. It's because we're, we're reaching another midterm cycle. It's because... Yeah. Uh, Biden knew that something overseas was going to happen where he could shift the blame there and he couldn't have two giant things, you know, clashing into each other. So it's not because we won. It's because they're, you know, in a terrible way, I feel like they're preparing us for the next big thing that's going to impact our lives. And as I look back, at least now where I'm at right now and where I seem to be going and where I've tried to take my listeners as we've looked at, you know, financial freedom, health freedom, ways to build better options in your life, I I feel like I'm more prepared for these things. And that's a comfort I didn't have because, you know, during the lockdowns and everything, I was living at home. I had one stream of income. I had really nothing to my name. I had no options in terms of how can I escape the situation. And, and sadly, that's that's where a lot of people still are. And mm-hmm. a lot of libertarians still still like to think that way. They like to think that they're living before COVID. And it's like, guys, you can't just talk about this stuff. You've got to hey, really? do something. It, it, it's wild. It, it's, it's the same people that will go ahead and say, um, you know, a million things on Twitter, but then when they go ahead and they have to do a car repair, they're asking everyone to go ahead and donate to their GoFundMe. 
It's like it's hard to be a libertarian when you're in debt. It's hard to be a libertarian when you're going to be stuck in the same geographic area, where you're going to be stuck with the same mandates and the same rules and the same politicians that can dictate your life. It, I, I think a lot of libertarians wanted to just hope that we could vote our way to freedom, but they never realized that freedom, for the most part, is only as strong as their ability to move themselves and their ability. I actually to agree with you. I think <clears throat> I think that's like um a generational difference between libertarians now because I have family members. I was raised as a libertarian. So a lot of my family, my grandfather and my father and my aunts and everything, they're all libertarians. And I think the older generations of libertarians, their MO was like buy land, prep, get gold, stay low key, you know? Um, but now I think, like our generation of libertarians are very mobile and very really flexible in terms of like our income and our location. And I don't know, like we're way more like fluid in terms of like how we live our lives. You know what I mean? Like I see that so much and it's not just libertarians. It's our whole generation I think is really like that, but very strongly libertarians. I, I like what you said about like how you can't be like a, a sound libertarian if your finances are not in order because it's true. Finances obviously lead to freedom always. And collectively libertarians make really distinct financial decisions you know, um, our assets, the things that we consider sound assets are different. And the way we look at taxes is very different. And, um, I think having your finances in order as a libertarian is really paramount to like living by your belief system. You know what I mean? Because, um, like my goal in life is to like never pay taxes and, I really, really believe in gold. I love crypto. And I also really don't want to own a home because I don't really want anyone to really know where I am in terms of like on paper or like legally, you know what I mean? Rentals, you can hop around so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think our generation of libertarians is small, but it's changing. I, I used to think when I was involved in student activism when I was in college that the goal was to go ahead and to create as many libertarians as possible. And that mm -hmm. if I just argued and debated enough, if I shared enough memes, if I shared enough of the right books and articles, I could easily convince everybody. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think the one truth of the pandemic and I think a lot of people disagree with me on this, is that I, I used to think that everyone inherently wanted freedom. Oh, I yeah. don't believe that. Anymore. No, I, I so don't believe that at all. So no. now it, it caused a whole different mindset change in me because oh, now wow. it's less about, you know, trying to get as many people to become libertarians. And it's more about how do I get libertarians to not get caught by the state? How do mm -hmm, I get exactly. libertarians to not be pawns by systems, whether it's corporate? I actually so government. agree with it's, you. I mean, it's it, it sounds it sounds really like you know nihilistic and stuff like that. I mean, it's no. just it's just the way it's just the way things are now. I don't, I don't see that as one of those things that could be debated. It's just well, that's I agree with you, Remzo, and I, that's something that I think changed from lockdown, and I totally agree because. Like before lockdown, it was more of like a, what party are you in? Whose side are you on? And now I feel like libertarians are literally like, you know, who cares about that? How do we get off the grid and how do I protect myself from like all the oppression that's coming, that's here and that's going to be getting worse? I think it made us sort of narrow in on ourselves, our focus, which collectively everyone has done that, politics aside, it, that's, I think, the overall thing with that with um, the result of lockdown was that everyone had to narrow in their focus of their lives. And I think it was really, really hard for a lot of people, obviously, because all of our really fun distractions went away.
So we had to like face ourselves. I felt, I felt kind of like a fraud at, at the beginning because Why? from where I was, from, from where I was at episode one of On the Run to where I am right now with episode 200, I am a starkly different person. For one, I, I was living check to check. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was insanely rough. I had mm-hmm. one stream of income through my job. And when the, pan- and when the lockdowns happened, um, my salary was cut 10%. My workload was doubled. Oh, God. Um, I didn't own anything. I had a very light network of people that I could, you know, network with and stuff like that. Um, you know, my health wasn't great at the time. I mean, my, my, own, my own ability to defend myself, if that came to happen, like, it, 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 it exposed me for the fact that all these things I talk about, what I think about when I think of, like, you know, this, uh, this libertarian Jason Bourne who could, you know, hop around and engage, overcome and adapt and survive anything. Looking yeah. back, I mean, I thought I was good enough. I thought I was better than most people situational wise in terms of my awareness of the world. Yeah. But like, you know, if I were in Canada and somebody was locking my bank account, I'd be screwed. If I were in Ukraine True. right now and I had to flee and restart somewhere else, I couldn't do that. I mean, it, it was like... You know, yeah. you're, you're just looking at like useful ways to die upon. And it's it, it's it's really sad because a lot of people I know who were in and still are in the same situation they were back then. They've just kind of grown to the state of comfort where it's like, well, you know, I could pay my bills. I could get by. Nobody really bothers me. I'm yeah. not on anyone's radar. I'm just going to hope that things don't get worse. It's like I don't want to be that person. Just hoping I know. Don't get worse. Well, you know, what? I think, Remzo, I think. I found myself in a similar position as you because if, I, I think it's it's unfair to expect yourself in the beginning of 2020 to to be prepared for what happened because you know like as libertarians we are more prepared and more aware than most people of other parties obviously but you know, I felt the same way. Like I was raised by preppers and libertarians and I was raised to understand what happens when a currency collapses and what happens when a government collapses and all that stuff. And I also was not prepared, Remzo. Like I was, I had one, no, I had two streams of income, both died overnight completely like that. And I how, had, how do you, how do you feel when that happens? Like what, what felt, goes through your head when you notice that? It felt like failure. And that's the thing that's weird. Like, I know it was like out of my hands, but I, I think it felt like failure because of the point that you're making that I said to myself, I know these things can happen. I was disappointed in myself that I wasn't more prepared for this because I, I'm aware that societies collapse. I was raised on this. And like, I was not properly prepared. Like I should have had more, more solid assets to fall back on and more streams of revenue. Um, I felt like a failure, you know, because I expect that of myself because of everything I know. And, but I don't think it's fair for us as Americans that, you know, have really had a very easy ride our whole lives compared to most people in the world. I don't think it's fair for us to like come down on ourselves for not being prepared for our society suddenly collapsing overnight. (laughs) You know, like I, I, yeah, I wish I was, but like my reality, I was a model in New York city for 10 years, like running around being stupid all the time. Like I was not really living a life of like preparing for like something bad. Like I was like, just trying to be hot, (laughs) like having fun. And it was so stupid and it was great. I loved it. But like, realistically, I don't like, yeah, I felt like a failure. But when I step back from it, I'm like, come on, like, how could you have known this would happen? I had a shitload of savings. Thank God, because I lived off of it because all my income dried up. But I had a startup business that closed all my modeling ended overnight. My, some of my clients are just starting to come back to me now. So it's been like two years of like nothing, like it's been bad. It's been financially rough for me. And 
Um, but you know what? Like, I don't know. Like, what could we have done? You know what I mean? Like, I was where I was. I, I coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know. I, I think that's the that that's like the inflection point for a lot of people, though, because yeah. I, I think if the COVID situation, if this you know, 2020 part one and two era has shown us anything. It's that if, if we noticed all that, and if we came to those conclusions, the only real thing we could do was make a choice. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I got, I, I got called a hypocrite. I got called greedy when I really switched the tone of the show towards building, you know, building skills, building alternate streams of income, uh, because, you know, a lot of libertarians, you know, they, they heard, they heard that and they just thought I was saying like, stop being poor or something like that. Or if, uh, if you can't adapt quickly, you deserve poverty or you deserve to die or something. And my, my thing was like, you know, even like episode one Remzo, I didn't think of money as anything more than just a way to get richer, to get more things. I see money completely different now money. I mean, for one money, isn't real. No money. Money's not real, but it is something that Really, but it's reality. yeah, but it dictates every part of your life, and <laughs> you know, for me, it's like I, I live a, an, incre- an incredibly wealthy lifestyle on my own terms, in terms mm-hmm. of like what makes me happy. To some people, it seems lesser or more. It, yeah. It's all about perspective. But my thing is now, it's like you know that that money gives me options. That money gives me yeah. chances. That money gives me the ability to move around and to make decisions without having to go through other people. Without having to worry, yeah. My, you know, the the thing I saw on um on ABC was this grandmother, the, this Ukrainian grandmother in a subway, and you know the subway tunnel is like full of people sleeping, and you see children, and you just see like old people like trying not to freeze and stuff like that. And the first thought going through my mind was, if that was my grandmother, could I get her out right now? Right. Could I have gotten her out before this? Could right. I have known about this? Right. And it's it's all in the realm of fantasy. I'll never know. I could, you know, I could go through all the hypothetical situations, but I mean that that's a very real thing. It's like for a lot of people, they're just hoping that, you know, this isn't the way they die. There's another way to die that's more peaceful. And that's that's the real um, reality for the world. I mean, as I, as I speak to friends of mine in Australia where I used to live, I mean, Australia turned back into a freaking penal colony. Oh my God, it's crazy. Um, I mean, Europe, parts of Asia, Canada, South America. I mean, a lot of the world has to really worry about whether or not they're going to be able to put food on the table and stuff like yeah. that. And it's yeah. like, you know, folks, if, if you still have this idea that money is just, you know, something that's going to create more problems for you, or it's just something that people who have already made it are telling you to focus on. It's like, understand, like, you know, all all the donations I ever made to Libertarian Party candidates, to Republicans, to whatever, none of that money ever did me anything in my life. It Mm -hmm. never did, really. I wanted it to, but it never did. It wasn't until I started reinvesting in myself so that way I could have those options that I actually felt confident for the first time. No, I agree with you. I think, um, I think, I think, I don't want to say like, how do I say this? I think money is important in the way that you want it to be important. You know what I mean? Like everyone has their own private financial preferences. I just feel like at this point, with what's going on in the world and what's going on with the global currencies and the banking systems. I feel like right now the best thing and the most important thing to me is to stay out of the banks as much as possible and stay under the radar and have multiple streams of income and have gold because I think our banking system is really seriously going to change And, um, you know, in the last year, two years since lockdown of like my finances crumbling, I'm like, literally like, I'm like, I'm never going through that again. Like, I don't care what it takes. Like, I cannot have that happen. And I'm single and I don't have kids or a husband. Like if I had children through this, I would be so much more terrified. I don't know what I would have done. 
you know, it, it's just like, it's important to like secure yourself. And I think right now it's important to look ahead and project ahead in terms of like what's going on with our global banking systems and prepare for multiple scenarios. And I think financially, that's just like the most important thing. Obviously I have income coming in, but like, you know, look what just happened in Canada. Like they just froze people's bank accounts. So, Imagine I, that yeah, to you. So, so I need you to explain something to me because I'm a bit confused about yeah. this. So when the bank accounts for all the Canadian activists started getting frozen and yeah. when other ways of them accessing their cash flow and assets got frozen as well and they started going to Bitcoin, what, what was going on with the exchanges? Because I, I think I got conflicting news. Were the exchanges also freezing like their crypto? I don't think so. I didn't hear that. I think I'm wrong about that then. I don't, well, I don't know. I did not hear that. I heard that the way the banks were doing it is they would go through the websites and see who donated to someone and the people that donated and the people that received, they got their accounts frozen. Oh shit. So if That's you wanted true. to cash out your crypto. No, no, I'm not talking about crypto. I'm just talking oh, about like. talking about banks. Currency. Yeah. Okay. Banks, the banks. But with the crypto, I didn't hear anything about crypto getting frozen. Did you hear about that? I, I heard something because there there were a bunch of people, and I mean, I'm I'm sorry I didn't do my homework on this, folks. A lot has <laughs> happened in the last couple yeah. of weeks. <laughs> it's been um, a great three days. I, I'm I'm probably entirely wrong, so let's just go off this premise as okay. as a hypothetical. Okay. But if somebody sent me money on Coinbase, I'm sorry. Yeah. So if somebody sent me Bitcoin on Coinbase, mm -hmm. and I wanted to cash it out so that mm -hmm. I can go to the gas station and buy gas. Yeah the exchanges were not allowing me to sell. I didn't hear that. I, but I think you wouldn't be able to do that anyway because your account was frozen. You can't use it. So you can't cash out from Coinbase because even if that was happening, which I didn't hear that, I'm not really sure. I'm probably I didn't hear that at all. Wrong. But the bank accounts were frozen. So once your bank account is frozen, like you're done. You cannot deposit, withdrawal, nothing. As, as, as a crypto. Yeah, go ahead. I got to tell you something crazy that happened to me recently. So... I just moved to Florida a couple months ago. You know that. Um, and I changed my bank account. I started banking with Chase. Okay. Cause there's one like right down the street here. And I was with like a local small bank in Jersey, but then I was like, I can't bank there cause there's no locations here. So I changed to Chase here. I think my first deposit was like, I don't know, three grand or something that really small. Um, so I'm in New York like two weeks ago. And that I was in New York and that day I pay my rent. And then I also went to the dentist and I had like five fillings fixed because I have those white fillings. So you got to get them fixed every 10 years. So I'm like, okay, it's 10 years, got to get them redone. So it was like $2,000 or something like that. And this is coming from my checking account. Okay. Checking the money's in there. I think I have five grand in that account that day. So I pay my rent. It's like 2,500. Then at the end of the day, I'm at the dentist and I go to pay them and my cards declined, but I'm looking online and I have like, I don't know, 2,500 bucks in my account. And I'm like, yeah, this is there. try it again. It's a debit card. So I call my bank and I'm like, why is my account not working? There's money in there. They're like, oh, you've reached your spending limit for the day. And I was like, through your you debit? Through my debit, Remzo. Okay. Through my debit. So now Chase, which is one of the biggest banks in the world, they have a policy now. They have a spending limit on cash. It's not a credit card. It's cash. Why? Because I think they're afraid there's going to be a run on the banks, which there can't even be because most of our money is digital. But on my checking account, I was not allowed to spend the money that was in my account. So I said, can you, they said the limit is $3,000. You've already spent 2,500. You can't put another two grand. I said, okay, um, well, can you just increase the limit for me? They said, we can only increase it to the amount that it's at at the time of requesting the, the increase. And I'm like, but it was at five grand this morning. Can you just, and they're like, we can't. So I was locked out of spending my own money, my cash that I put in the bank. This is why literally I, I almost put nothing in my bank now because I want it in and then I want it out of, with purchasing things. That, like I only put in the bank what needs to be paid right away because these banks, I think there's like so many big things coming, but can you believe they're locking up our cash with a spending limit? 
I, I remember when I was in high school when uh, Greece was going through their economic meltdown. Yeah. You had, you had like husband and wife couples on, uh, on NPR. I remember watching them and basically they were going to the ATM. And at this point, the, the Greek government was going in and taking out of people's 401ks and savings. But yes. then for, checkings account, for checking accounts, what they started doing was they started limiting you to – they started limiting you like the equivalent of $20 a day. Yeah. It's like who survives off of that? No. And, and in the United States, I mean, you know, we've got like the infinite money glitch where if the bank uh-huh. runs out of money, the, the, the Fed just prints more money yes. because the banks are never allowed to run out of money. But yes. what that, that doesn't mean that they can't restrict the access of cash. And I, I thought this was going to happen. They're doing it now. I yeah. just learned that. They're doing it already in like a smaller way. And they started, in a real sneaky yeah. way. <laughs> and, and they started doing this during the lockdowns and everything else. And as they're trying to get people more, you know, to, to do more stuff on their cards and to do more stuff online. That's why they, I, I, I believe the national coin shortage was, was yeah. fake. I don't yeah. believe it was real at all. They're just trying they're, to get it off the market. They're, they're trying to do that. So like, you know, at, at the end of the day, like, especially in the Midwest where I'm at, a lot of people were transacting in cash to even avoid mm. credit card fees and stuff like sure. that. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I've been, oh, okay. I, I want to get your opinion on this. Yeah. If, if you can't get money out of an ATM, if let's say they start restricting how much cash you can go from there, where are you going to go get your cash? You're not getting your cash. There's one place you can get your cash. Where? Might not, might not be all your cash. What? Okay. Here, here's something I've, I've kind of done. So I, I am, I, I am a firm believer that everyone should have a, you know, an emergency, emergency pile of cash. So have your emergency fund, but then have one that's just liquid cash, physical cash you keep. Yeah. But I, I started, um, you know, re-upping my physical supply of gold and silver, not Good necessarily too. as a hedge. I have some of it as a hedge, but I, I'm, I'm now routinely buying more gold and silver because – the ultimate ATM during a pandemic or during an economic recession is going to be a pawn shop. Hell yeah. Hear me out. Go to the right. pawn shop, either pawn mm-hmm. or sell the gold. You'll get, you know, at that point, the dollar's going down and everything else. Yeah. You'll get close to your spot price. Not yeah, exactly, but close true. to your spot price. You'll really get the smart. cash right there. Yeah. I think, I mean, my thing since lockdown started is like, I'm out of, I'm done with cash. Even having a pile of cash, like I feel, this is the thing, this is why I'm not really into cash right now. I think having maybe a couple grand in cash or 10 grand is good. But, you know, I think people that have like one, two, 300,000 in cash, like in one of their walls in their house. like oh, that's I, not going to help them. Unless, no. they're like, unless they're like in the mob, that's not going <laughs> right. to help them. But a lot of people have that. And I think right now the smart thing to do is liquidate that into gold or silver because the cash, I'm afraid of this. This is my, my thing that I keep talking about, keep coming to this. So I think that the United States is going to go to um, like a a central bank digital currency. Okay. And I think it's coming. Um, One of the things that I'm scared of if that happens and when it happens is that they're going to say, okay, you can trade in your dollars and we'll give you 70% of its value or 50% of its value. I'm afraid they would do something like that. So if you have a hundred grand in cash, you're down to 50. Where like, if you had put that into gold, at least it's preserved because gold, I think globally, banks are still really heavily investing in it. Um, but right, right before, a, right before Russia invaded Ukraine, over the last two years, they had been re-upping their physical gold supply. Yes, because they knew that of, when they did this, the, the rule yes. would end up falling, which it has. Yeah, and so is China. China's been buying, hoarding gold actually for the last I don't know ten years. Um, but and so is the U.S. actually. But I that's something that scares me about actual cash. Is that I think it's like keeps them around like you know, we got to pay our rent and our bills or whatever. And, you know, we need our checking accounts right now just to pay stuff digitally. But I think keeping a lot of cash is a risk right now because, you know, our government, they're so fucking shady. Like, I don't trust them to give us the whole value of cash. I don't think they'll do that. Do you think they would ever get to the point like they did in 1933 where they actually banned the private ownership of gold? Yeah, I do. 
I, I think that is a possibility, but I, and then I, I think it's even a better investment if it's illegal because that always drives the price up of anything once it's deemed illegal. So yeah, I, I think, I think anything cash and banking is like a high risk right now. It's a, it's like a fact of life. We got to use it sometimes, but personally I'm out. I'm all like crypto and gold, a little bit of cash done. You're one of the few crypto nerds. And I say that lovingly. You're one of the few <laughs> crypto nerds that will still touch precious metals. I know. I, I, I see it as, as kind of a hedge because overall the value of gold is not as, you know, it's not like the Peter Schiff, uh, miracle, you know, metal that he says, like, I like gold, right. but I'm not going to be building, you know, anywhere near like 10% of my overall portfolio in precious metals, gold and silver. I'm using mm-hmm. it primarily as a slight hedge, but yeah. also because it's easier for me to hold some gold than it is to hold some cash right now. Totally. I think this is something that I really, I get a little frustrated with people about because I love crypto so much, but I was also like raised by like gold bugs. So I love gold. I think it's amazing. I think it's like the ultimate last resort hedge where like people in Ukraine right now, for example, the ones that have gold, I bet they're getting past those borders. No problem. The ones that don't, they're fucked. So border crises, like you have to have gold because once a currency dies or there's a war, like people don't really want the paper money. They want gold or silver. But Because you could take that anywhere and it's going to have anywhere. an inherent global value. It is. It, you can't it is. exchange your currency anywhere. I mean, we're no. lucky that we have dollars. Like as much as we complain about the dollar, like I would much rather have dollars than like euros or pounds or anything else because that just that goes with the wind. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So, um, but that's a. So remember that I don't know if you know that debate that came out between like Michael Saylor and Frank Justra, who's a mining guy. He's a gold miner. Uh, it was like a year yeah, ago. Could you explain it to me? There was a big debate. So you know. Everyone knows who Michael Saylor is, but Frank Justra is, um, he, he owns a gold mining company. He's a big, big gold guy. I'm personally friends with him. I've known him for a long time. And they did this debate about, he was debating pro gold and obviously Michael Saylor was pro Bitcoin. And they were like debating why, which one is better than the other one. And it was an awesome debate. I loved it. I took notes on it. It was super cool. Um, but I, always say that gold and Bitcoin complement each other perfectly. Um, they're the ultimate like privacy hedge from the state and they're wonderful investments. And, you know, crypto is cool because it's a digital asset, but gold is cool because it's a real life hard asset. Like it's tangible. It gives you power right now. Where like if your computer dies, if we have a nuclear explosion, if we have to cross a border, like you have that money in your hand. It's not going to be devalued and it's the safest, safest thing to have. But you should also have crypto because it's a good investment and, you know, you can skirt around the state. So I think that they complement each other perfectly. And I love both of them. And when people say Bitcoin or gold, I say both. And this is why I don't think they're going to go ahead and ban Bitcoin in the United States, at least. I mean, one, one, they can't. But secondly, it has so much institutional support now. So when much. J.P. Chase Morgan that said that gold, that Bitcoin was not real and the whole you know speculative market was going to crash a few years ago, they went ahead and put out a new investor statement saying that they were going to go ahead and start building a majority of their portfolio. Well, not a majority of their portfolio, but they were going to start by investing in a considerable amount of Bitcoin. Yeah. And even like with folks like Michael Saylor, I mean, he, he takes an opinion that I don't agree with. He, he views uh, Bitcoin as a as a pure asset class. And I'm like, no, it's a currency. I think it can be both. I think that's what makes Bitcoin amazing. Bitcoin's the ultimate money because it's both an asset and a currency. But yeah. I think restricting it to one or another is is, is kind of narrow minded in that sense. But I mean, it, it's it, it's it's weird because, you know, two years ago. I've got a group of friends who would never touch crypto. They're like, it's not real. I can't buy a Coke with it. It's it's worthless. And now they're trying to become Dogecoin millionaires and they're <laughs> they're buying across like all these other altcoins that I've never yeah. heard of. And now they're looking at what's happening in Canada and they're like, you know, maybe I should start trying to, you yeah. know, start a side hustle so I can start getting paid in Bitcoin and stuff like that. Totally. I mean, a two year switch on that doesn't happen with anything else. Nothing. Well, you know. Something that I'm really pleased about 
over, like when I look back over the last two years is how many people are starting to understand that the state is oppressive as a whole? Because before that, no one, except for libertarians and anarchists, no one would ever be like, yeah, like we, they, they're, they're. Did whole- you ever think you would live in a time where you see Republicans saying we need to abolish the FBI? <laughs> no, which pisses me off because I'm like, you're a fucking Republican. You're not allowed to say that. Fuck you. That's our thing. Yeah, I'm like, that's ours. But I mean, that scares me because I feel like the Republicans are like branding themselves as like this freedom party. And I'm like, you're not a fucking freedom party. You're just a big, you're just one part of this two-party bullshit system. You perpetuate all of this. It's a wheel. The Democrats and the Republicans, the Democrats and the Republicans. It's a fucking wheel that turns over time and they keep it going. Anyway, what were we talking about? It, it, it's so amazing how, how so much is switched. And I mean, that, that's yeah. what, that's one thing that's concerning me because, um, you know, in, 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 in any failing presidency, what we've seen throughout us history, at least is that American presidents will go ahead and launch us into foreign conflicts in order yeah. to save themselves at home. Sure. And the fact that with, very little knowledge amongst the general American population. Now you have people taking sides between Russia and Ukraine. It's almost at the point where it's like, you got to understand this is exactly what they want you to do. Like, you know, it's, it's getting, it's getting wild now. And uh, this can be used to justify anything and everything. I have to say though, when I, so beginning of 2020, my Instagram, I had like 40,000 followers. And I was only a model on Instagram. Like I didn't talk anything political ever, nothing. Actually, Chris Spangle, when I contacted him, like he always call, calls me like a closet libertarian because I was forever. Like I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. I didn't talk about it ever, especially as a model in New York. Like, you reached out to Chris or did Chris reach out to you? I found him. Wow. He must've thought you were a catfish. Probably. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> If you slid into my DMs randomly, I'm like, this lady ain't real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he definitely did. Because I was like, Back hey, off, I love your Nigeria. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. But um, so I, I was saying that my Instagram was like purely just a model Instagram. And then as soon as lockdown happened, I started talking in my stories about, you know, my views. And then I started sharing memes about my views. And I instantly lost 10,000 followers right away. But, oh, and then I slowly lost more. So now I'm down to like 22. (laughs) But I have to say the people that follow me now, most of them obviously are Democrats and Republicans and they like my stuff and they message me all the time. And I can see a slow change in the people that are engaging in with me in my content. And I've had so many people I had so many people message me during the 2020 election being like, Hey, I just want to let you know, because of your, 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 what you share, I voted libertarian. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That is so awesome. I cannot believe that. But I feel like I tricked everyone because <laughs> like I had this like normal account with like normal viewers. And then I was like, bam, freedom. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I feel like in some ways I've, I've taken kind of like the, the, you know, a a different approach because very early on in my, you know, like media career and everything, I was doing very exclusively libertarian content for libertarians. Hmm. And then as I wanted to start bringing more normal people in, I realized I couldn't just speak libertarian to normal people. I had to try and get things that anybody anywhere on earth, regardless of where they stand politically on something could benefit from my content. That's why I did so much like generic stuff and people were confused. Like why you should get into blogging, how to, how to start Mm -hmm. a side hustle and 24 hours how to do yeah. all this stuff it's because everyone like stuff yeah like everyone needs money every right. everyone has a problem that they need solved by somebody or something they could solve themselves and it was like as i got those people to trust me as i got those people to think this guy gives me value so maybe i want might want to hear what he says my audience is not all libertarians now that's and, good though and i think that's why i have a weird little advantage because almost none of my audience is libertarian. And, you know, I still share on my Instagram posts, 
I share my life on there a little bit, you know, like when I travel or my little dog or, you know, like my, I love fashion. I love, I love traveling. Like I'm pretty, I'm like a pretty normal girl Mm -hmm. and I share that. But then I also, I'm like, these are my beliefs. And I think if more libertarians did that, instead of jamming libertarianism down people's throats, if they were just like, this is my authentic life. And I also don't like the state. I feel like it would be, more normalized and more assimilated. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that, that was the approach I had to take because, you know, like two years ago, this was supposed to be a travel show. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it was really hard. So I had to quickly (laughs) adapt to that. And I I didn't want to go just to talk about politics. I did that because there was, that was the only stuff to talk about. But I mean, now I'm at the point where it's like, you know, I don't just want to be the guy saying like, you know, the world is ending by gold and bullets and, you know, whiskey and like hunker down. It's like, I still believe there's like through all this shit, there's going to be amazing opportunities. I think so too. Not only whole societies, but for individuals and things will get real. Things are getting tougher. But if you can understand it and get ready for that and embrace those challenges, you're going to see a big opportunity because so long, I think so many libertarians in our community were hoping that they could have one individual get elected to president or a couple people in Congress or maybe somebody in their local government. It, It felt weird because it's like, you know, we keep saying the government can't solve everything, but we're like, the only way to solve all of our problems is to take control of the government. It's like, guys, that's not feasible even if you do get to that point because you're still yeah. going to be left with the one person that limits your freedom, which is yourself. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I actually believe at this point that um, our government is doomed. It's not going to ever get fixed. It's too far in. It's going to have to like implode and then be rebuilt because – Oh my God, it's a mess. And the parasites that are involved in it are just really latched on. And I think instead of thinking, like we were just talking about this before, like I think instead of thinking like, oh, we got to get a libertarian office. I'm like, no, just live a libertarian life, you know, just live the life. And that's more powerful than like putting someone in a seat. I I think that's the best way to kind of wrap things up. Because ultimately, it's like the only people that can guarantee our own happiness, guarantee our own survivability, guarantee our only access to options. It's got to be us. We got to look at the man and woman in the mirror and say, like, I've got to get this shit done. I agree. And you know what? I am anti-state and I do lean toward anarchy. And I don't believe in, like, giving a politician power over you to rule you. I really don't fundamentally. I mean, is government a fact of life? Unfortunately, right now it is, but I don't want to wait for some person that I don't know if they're conning us or not to have power over my life. I think like the premise of that is really flawed. Putting a politician into power to fix things, it's not going to happen. And I, I think it's just way more powerful to like look to yourself and educate yourself on like how to stay away from taxes, how to fly under the radar, how to like hedge against a failing economy and like a possible like collapse of a society. Like things like that are just, if the whole majority of people were thinking like that. That'd be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of depressing. That would be depressing. No, I think it would be wonderful. And I think that it would actually naturally shrink the government. Yeah. I, I think like, you know, I, I, I think of all the things I want to do, not just, I, I, I think this is a, my one criticism of like libertarians. It's like, and I agree with everything you said, mm-hmm. but like, I, I don't just want to prepare for the world to end. I want to go see Paris. Yeah, I want to. I want. I want to. I want to go do awesome oh, things. Yeah, I want to go ride a jet ski. I want to go do some stuff yeah. and prepare for that shit to happen. Rems a hundred percent, and that I am like that. I am like I am a raging libertarian anarchist, but also I love fashion. I love shopping. I love going out. I love to see my friends and party. Like. I like having a good time and like living my life. So I'm not like sitting in my bunker, like a freak, like waiting for things to end. Like, I'm like, fuck that. I want to live. Like, I love to travel and 
do whatever I can get my hands into. You know what I mean? Cause yeah, like, yeah. this is like your one life. Like you, you gotta, cause I do think that people that their whole focus is just preparing is actually another form of being controlled by the state. Exactly. Yes. Like I don't want to die another day. I want to live another day. <laughs> like don't that let should the, be the goal. Right. Don't let the state control you obviously in like legal ways, but also don't let them control you in your personal life where you're like revolving your whole life around like, you know, dodging the state and preparing for it to end. Like, yeah, have your shit organized, but then also like go have fun, you know, like fun is so important. Go learn, go travel, do what you want, whatever you want to do. Like, you know, we can't let them take that from us. Exactly. Because if we allow that to happen, then they win regardless to whether we're, we're just existing day to day. You're right. You're totally right about that. Julia, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, thank thank you you so much for being my 200th episode guest. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. Always. If, uh, people want to, you know, catch up with you and everything else that you're doing, how could they do so? Oh, um, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Julia Geyer NYC. I think I have to change that because I don't live there anymore. <laughs> I was just thinking about that the other day. I just Would realized it be that. Julia Geyer FL or no, I don't Julia know. Ge- Julia Geyer incognito. <laughs> I, I, where, in the wor- where in the no world is Julia Geyer? <laughs> I don't know. But I'm like, maybe it should be NYC. So people think I'm there. I don't know. I'm flying under the radar these days. So. I don't know, but anyway, extra yeah. it could be Julia Guy or BTC. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, my spam would be out of control. You're about to be an NFT now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can find me on Instagram. You can always, anyone can DM me. I really engage with my followers like a lot. I have a lot. I have like awesome followers. They're so nice. Everyone's so nice to me. A lot of people are like, do you get a lot of like hate? And I'm like, I don't get any. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I don't get any. It's really nice. Awesome really nice. stuff. Anyway, Enjoy. yeah, reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to anyone. Thank you so much as always. Thanks, Folks, if you enjoyed this conversation more, please do me a favor. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Play, Spotify, wherever you're listening to the show across Al Gore's amazing internet. And uh, I don't say it enough because I don't try and focus on it, but we've got a bunch of awesome affiliate links in the show notes from Coinbase, Cash App, Robinhood, Hustlers University 2.0. These are all products and services I use. These are all things that I use to go ahead and bring greater value and more options and freedom to my life. And it's things that I believe you would benefit from. So go ahead and uh, sign up for any of those links if you haven't already in the show notes today. They will help you and it also helps support the show so I can go ahead and keep this train moving. As always, the goal now going forward is not just prepping to die another day. I kind of like that slogan earlier. Let's live another day. Let's try and remember what makes us human and let's never let them get in the way of that. As always, thank you for listening to On The Run. I'm Rumsdubby Martinez. Be good, be safe.